spread across the company of the Israelites. And we are reminded in this passage today, church, that this world that we live in is a dramatically broken place. Don't have unrealistic expectations, church. Don't have unrealistic expectations, brothers and sisters. You live in a radically fallen world. Shalom, peace, has been shattered by sin. Some of us, some of us are facing things right now that are just unthinkable. Around the world, there's suffering that is hard to put in your brain. This world is a broken place. And yet faith in God alters the way that I, the way that you and I interact with and face that brokenness. Look at what it says here in verse 23. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now this couple, Moses' parents, the parents of Moses, did not follow the king's edict. Now their son was not killed. They hid him for three months probably only for three months, because after three months, he was too active and too alive to hide anymore. So what did they do? They made a basket for him out of bulrushes. And they put him in this basket and floated him in the river, in the reeds along the shore. Now it's very interesting. You think that the passage would say, because of fear of the king, they they hid the sun. But that's not what it says. It says that they hid Moses because they were not afraid of the king. Now, in order to understand that, you actually have to understand that there were two edicts, two commands, two orders. The first edict was that every Jewish baby boy would be killed. The second edict is that the people responsible for those baby boys should do the killing. And so here's this powerless, impoverished slave couple who are self-consciously disobeying the order of the most powerful man on earth at that moment. Now you ought to be saying, how does that happen? Where do I get that? Well, this passage actually points us to that. It says, because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. What does it mean when it says they saw the child was beautiful? Well, there are commentators that, that they get quite creative here. And basically they would say, well, God just enlightened these parents and told them that, God, that Moses was going to be a man of great faith, a man of greatness. Well, let me just tell you something. That's baloney. No matter how thin you slice it, that's not what's happening. Okay? But here is what's happening. They looked into the face of this baby. And they saw the image of God. They looked at this child and they saw the creative glory of God. They saw the majesty of the glory of what you see when you hold an infant in your hands. And all of a sudden, all the systems are turned on. All of a sudden, you realize that this is a human being with a never, ever dying soul created by the hands of God. And you're gripped by the holiness and wonder of that moment. That is what is in their hearts. And they know that this one is a creature of God and carries God's image. But they also know something else. That that God, who is their creator, is also the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In other words, he's the God of the covenant. He's the God who has made promises to his people. Here's the promise. 
I will be your God, and you will be my people. And I will bless those who bless you, and he who curses you, I will curse. That's the promise. That's the covenant promise that we learned about through, through Noah. And so these weak, impoverished slaves hold with both hands on what they know of God. They put their faith in Him as Creator. They trust Him as Covenant Keeper. And because of that, they are not afraid of the power of this evil king. So that leads me to ask you, church, where does fear grip you? Perhaps you're timid and fearful about standing for your faith, maybe at your workplace, because you're afraid of what people will think of you, and you're afraid of what that will mean to your job. Perhaps you're afraid of an angry neighbor who has made your life troublesome. And rather than being an agent of peace and reconciliation, standing in courage, you've built big privacy fences that you hide behind. But the fences of your security prevent you ever having a relationship with that person. Perhaps you're afraid this morning that you'll live your life alone, never knowing marriage, never knowing family, and it crushes you to think about it. Do you embrace this morning, church, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, who is faithful to every one of his, every one of his promises, who will meet every one of your needs no matter what? The circumstances, church, the circumstances do not alter his character. The circumstances do not alter God's promises. Maybe I should ask you this. What would you have done if Moses had been your son? I will be honest with you. That question rattled in my heart this week. I prayed again and again, God, I want to be this man. I want to be this kind of man of faith. I want to believe in your creative glory. I want to believe in your covenant promises. I know that that means for me that I will not live in fear even though I don't understand my circumstances, even though I don't understand what's going on, even though it's hard, even though I face the unthinkable. I will not be afraid because you and you alone are my rest. Oh, but sometimes I'm there. But I think we're all the same. We're not there always. The connection here is between fear and what you place your faith in, what you value. And the values of Moses are preached to us here in four powerful verbs. Verse 24. Let me break it down for you. Refuse, the first verb, to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Considered the reproach of Christ's greater wealth. Looking to the reward. Endured as seeing him who is invisible. These four verbs paint an awesome picture for us. I mean, you know the story. Moses was found by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses became an adopted prince in the house of Pharaoh. That means, church, that means that he was connected to unbelievable power. He was connected to remarkable wealth. We've heard of the wealth of the pharaohs of Egypt, and yet those are not the riches that claimed the heart of this man, that claimed the heart of Moses. Oh, no. There's a way in which you could say that Moses had it all. He had the Egyptian dream. He could have been on the lifestyle magazine of the Egyptian rich and famous. I mean, literally, 
It literally is in front of him. The materialistic dream, it is all there. And this passage is remarkable in its telling because it doesn't just say it was of greater value to him to be connected to the Messiah, Christ and his people. No, it just doesn't say that. It says that reproach for the sake of the people of God, reproach for the sake of the Messiah was of greater riches, greater value to him than all of the treasures of Egypt. There's a tremendous honor in, in, by grace, being connected to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. But it is the highest of honors to suffer for his sake. Listen, church, you don't understand the life of Moses unless you understand this. Moses didn't just fall into hardship because he lived in a fallen world. Moses walked right into it. Moses walked into hardship because he considered that to be the thing of beautiful honor. That's faith. That is courageous faith. Remember when I spoke a few weeks ago and I shared for Noah to follow God's command and to walk into that ark symbolized that he was bidding farewell to the world, that he was renouncing society? Moses is doing the same in a sense self-consciously walking into hardship. What's neat is Noah went into the ark. Moses came from it. What do I mean by that? Did you know that there are three arks in the Old Testament? There's three arks. One, Noah's ark. Two, the ark of the covenant. And third, Noah's basket. Or, no, sorry, Noah's basket. Moses' basket, the basket that he was born in. If you look at the original language, it uses the same word, ark, a place of safety, a place of rest, also a place of death. I hope you see these connections and these connections are going through your mind right now. Well, keep that in mind. I'll, I'll come back to it later. But the reason Moses can make those remarkable choices, stand against this powerful man, not being afraid of his anger, is because what was most dear in the heart of Moses was not to be found in the palace. What was most dear in the heart of Moses, what could only be found in the relationship to the Messiah. What is most dear in your heart, church? What are you scared to death of letting go of? The loss of what kind of thing would make you question God's goodness, His love, His faithfulness, His grace? Perhaps the level of our anxiety, the level of our fear, the level of our doubt would reveal that maybe there are treasures in our hearts that compete with the Lord, Jesus Himself. Let's be honest, church. It is so hard to hold life with an open hand, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to hold your career with an open hand. It's hard to hold your friendships with an open hand. It's hard to hold your financial well-being with an open hand. It's hard to hold your physical health with an open hand. It's hard to hold the love of another person with an open hand. It's hard as a parent to hold your children with an open hand. It's hard as a husband and wife to hold your spouse with an open hand. It's hard to hold the everyday circumstances of life with an open hand. It's very easy to close your hand and say, I must have this. I need to have this. I have to have that. This somehow, some way defines the good life. Listen, the good life is one thing and one thing only. Jesus, 
being connected by undeserved grace to the King of kings and Lord of lords, to his messianic purpose. And Moses gets that. It says he was looking for his reward. What does he mean by that? He knew the importance of delayed gratification. Grace calls you to wait. You can't assess the goodness of God's plan by what's happening right here, right now. But the promises of the covenant guarantee that you are marching toward awesome, awesome glory. You're marching toward awesome reward. And you've heard me say this in the, over and over again, but like the Israelites, we too are on a journey to the promised land, to our reward. Our promised land is in the Garden of Eden where our worship will be made perfect again. And so we make our way westbound where, we, where when we finally reach that garden, the suffering will die, the toil will be over, and you'll experience glory and glory that never ends, but glory that lasts forever. And you'll realize that death will die. And you live today as if you actually believe in then. Because right now we are living in the already, but not yet. Moving on. And then it says, he had his eyes on the one who is invisible. Brothers and sisters, if, if, all, of, if all you see are the circumstances, you're a person in trouble. What faith does... What faith does is give you eyes to see beyond the circumstances. And you see in the midst of your circumstances a glorious God. A God of power and grace who is true to every promise he has ever made. When he is my highest value, I can rest even though important things in my life are slipping through my hands. Because he is a treasure to me. I would rather be named a fool. I hope all of us would be rather be named a fool than have the temporary treasures of this world. But there's one other thing that must be said about this passage. It's captured in the last verse, verse 28. Faith in God connected Moses to the redemptive power of God. In an act of faith, he led God's people to put the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorpost of the house so that when the angel of judgment passed over Egypt, killing all the firstborn sons in Egypt as a final act of judgment and redemption, the angels passed over the houses of Israel. What does that mean? Well, let's look at it practically. What should I fear the most? I shouldn't fear the most the loss of human relationship. I shouldn't fear the most the loss of physical treasures. I should fear the most the judgment of God because I'm a sinner. We deserve his wrath. But we need not fear that because the Passover lamb came, the Lord Jesus Christ, to institute the final Passover, to be the final lamb, who by his perfect life and his shed blood and his resurrection to make me now able to stand as a broken person as I am before the holy God and be unafraid of his judgment. I would say to you this morning, believer, bask in that redemption this morning. 
And I would say, if you have never put your faith in that grace, do that now. And just let me say this. When I say put your faith in God, do not, do not let yourself begin to think that this faith has to be huge, it has to be perfect, it has to be solid and mature and unwavering. Do not let yourself think that and do not let other people lead you that way either. Because our God is a very gracious God. All He asks is that whatever faith you got, even if it's this small, that you would bring all of this, all of this. God is saying, I treasure and value who you place your faith in, me, not the maturity of it. When all of you guys received Christ into your life, do you think your faith in him was that big? No way. You didn't know much about him at that point, but you just knew you needed a rescuer. You needed a hero to get you out of whatever situation you got out of, for most of us. Let me give you an example of what I mean through the story of Moses. These Israelites are cornered. They're almost cornered. Behind them is a sea of soldiers chasing them, and before them is the, is the Red Sea. How are they going to get out of this mess? Have they come to meet their end? It's at this time that God splits the Red Sea in two. A wall of water to the left, a wall of water to the right. God has given them a way out. They begin to make their way across the Red Sea onto dry land. Now imagine them doing so. Do you think all of them were excited and full of faith that it was a breeze for them to just cross through? They're running through and all excited? I highly doubt that. I bet that there were some who were thinking, oh wow, this is so cool. But then there are others who are saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I hope this water does not fall upon me. I'm sure that there are little infant baby girls and boys who are like out of their minds. What I am saying is they all crossed and they made it out. But all of them were at their own places with faith. What does that tell us? That it's the object of our faith, not the quality of our faith, that matters most to God. That's a famous line by Tim Keller. If you haven't heard of him, I highly suggest you listen to him. He speaks great truth. Their crossing over was not based on the quality of their faith, but who they placed their faith in. And for us, church, we don't have to worry about crossing over. Rather, we can place our faith and trust in the one who crossed over for us, and that's Jesus Christ. Christ, the greater Moses, the greater Noah, the greater one of us all. The greater Ed, the perfect Ed, the greater Mike, the Jason, Jen, Michelle, Shanene, Moniqua, whoever. Christ, the greater Moses. Moses was born in a little basket. Jesus was born in a little basket. Moses, Noah, symbolized rest and new beginnings. So does Christ. Christ symbolizes and gives us rest and new beginnings. Moses gave Israel rest from slavery. Jesus gives rest from every burden, trials, and tribulations. Moses points us to the ultimate mediator, Christ. Moses stretches out his hand and lifts up the rod of judgment and the waters part. The Israelites cross over onto the other side. Years later, 
Jesus Christ stretches out his hands and lifts up on a cross to face God's judgment and made the ultimate way for you and I through the waters of judgment so that we would cross over to safety into new life. There's a pastor, there's a story of a Presbyterian pastor who lost his wife to cancer. And as he was driving to the funeral home with his two children, he pulled up to a stoplight next to a huge semi-truck. And this huge semi-truck casted a huge shadow onto them. The pastor looked at that shadow and then turned to his children and asked, Kids, would you rather be hit by a truck or the shadow of the truck? Both daughters said, By the shadow, of course. And he said, That's right. Because Jesus was hit by the truck of death, your mother has only gone through the shadow of death. Jesus has crossed over for us so that we could only, so that we would have a new life in him. Let me close by asking you this question again, in hopes that you can answer this through a different lens. What holds your faith? What is the thing of highest value to you? When your faith is in the Lord and Jesus is your dearest treasure, you can rest in hardship. You can stand in hardship. You can act with courage because what you've placed your life in is not challenged but remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the striking and radical words of this passage. We do shift our faith to things that are not reliable. The affection of a friend, the size of a bank account, the health of the body, the order of circumstances. Father, we pray we may rest in you and you alone. There are things in our lives that rise in value until they do rule our hearts. Till we, hold them, till, till we hold on to them with both hands and we're scared to death that somehow they will be taken away from us. May there, may there be no treasure greater than you. So much so that we would feel richer being named as fools because of you. That we would if we had an unimaginable wealth. Work that in our hearts by the grace of the Passover lamb, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.